lose everyone. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. I see dead people. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Doc. Uh, are you telling me that you built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean? And knowing is half the battle. What the deuce? Must have the And I'll form the head. You are part of the Rebel Alliance and a traitor. Take it away. What you talking about, woman? Wow, infotainment. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Transmissions Extra, where we talk about something that's off the beaten path from Transformers. And today, we're having a little book review, everybody. Uh, we've all recently-ish read the book Console Wars by Charles... Blake J. Harris. By Blake Harris. Uh, Mr. Harris put together an account of the er- late 80s, early 90s uh, battle between Sega and Nintendo. And and the book reads a lot like a dramatization of what occurred rather than a timeline of facts. It's it's really well done, I think. Um, and uh, uh, mo- I think most of us listen to the audio version of this book, which I highly recommend because uh, it's a monster. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, yeah, I learned a lot about uh, Sega and Nintendo, and I think we probably all did. It was also a nice trip down memory lane, nostalgia. It, it was great. Uh, I'm going to start with the person that's read the book recent, the most recently, uh, uh, Daryl. What what was your takeaway from this? What did you like? What did you hate? Uh, I I did really uh, like the book a lot. Um, and yes, I finished the book probably two days ago. So uh, yeah, I'm pretty recent. Um, my takeaway as uh, as a person who growing up uh, did uh, did never own a Sega system. Um, the book read to me as this was a, um, uh, a story being told from, uh, from Tom Kalinske, uh, president and CEO of, uh, of Sega of America, uh, from his point of view. And, uh, this was, uh, his account. So this was an interesting look from the other side of the coin for me, uh, as being a, a Nintendo kid. Um, so I was interested in how this all kind of went down and you're right. It was a bit nostalgic with, um, some of the, uh, the, the kind of like releases of the games and the systems when they came out, I can remember, okay, yes, I got an NES here. Well, what was, what were the companies doing, you know, at this point in time? Okay. Well, at this point, Sega was in bad shape. But I, I got my Nintendo at this point. Um, and here I got an NES, but, you know, uh, Sega was doing this. And I remember friends having Segas and they were playing with this. Um, and uh, then I, then they mentioned Star Fox and they mentioned 3DO. I had a friend who had a 3DO and I got to play it. It was awesome. I, I First time I ever played Resident Evil was on a 3DO. Gave me nightmares. It was the best. Um and uh, I, I thought it was a really, really good uh, telling of, of the progression of that. And I honestly, going into the book, I, I really did think it was going to be a story only between uh, Nintendo and Sega. But I was pleasantly surprised by the inclusion of Sony in that. Uh, so um, I, I, because um, I am no longer a Nintendo kid, uh, I am a Sony person, so... Uh, yeah, I, um, and how Sony adult, (laughs) Sony adult. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm, I'm very 
uh, I was very interested to see and hear uh, how how intertwined Sony was with those two brands uh, back in the day. It was it was pretty good. I guess uh, I didn't hate anything about the book. Um, my my concern was um, was was the uh, the dialogue between the characters. I guess, I call them characters, but they were the the real people involved. So as you said, the book was written as like a, a dramatization. But that that dialogue is written as though uh, Blake J. Harris is in the room with them. So um, it, it it it's obviously um, it's it's not it's not recorded. Obviously, none of these conversations were recorded, or um, you know he couldn't transcribe them. So he had to interview everyone involved. I'm I'm sure. Uh, I did tweet to uh, Tom Kalinsky as I was reading the book and asked, you know, how are these conversations, you know, are they, how close to, are they to, you know, actual, you know, the actual ones that were, you know, taking place. And he did respond to me saying that they, that, that Blake J. Harris did do extensive interviews with the people that were involved. And uh, to the best of everyone's knowledge, these were the, the conversations that went down. So, That's awesome. um, so he did. Uh, so he did do his research, and I give him credit for that. So you do what you can, and you fill in the blanks where there are blanks with what you assume are uh, the the conversations that would have taken place. But um, but yeah, no. Uh, being an adult uh, and and knowing what I know now about business and how things need to go to get done and that kind of thing, it's uh, it it really did kind of surprise me that. Back in the day, this kind of stuff was is still going on. But as a kid, I never it never crossed my mind. I was just I want to play video games, and I don't I don't care what's happening. You know, a video game's coming out. I want that game, and you know, let's play. I, I you know, none of the politics ever mattered to me. Cool, um, Charles. I'm going to come to you next. I'm going to ask you the same questions I asked Daryl. But uh, during our road trip last year to Canada. I finally feel like I I understand that you are a bigger video game fan than I realized, uh, and 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 this question's kind of slightly uh, what I think might be uh, something wrong in the book. Uh, so so at one point in the book you hear that Sony's trying or or Nintendo's trying to collaborate with Sony on a disc system, mm-hmm. and then uh, without any formal formal notice to to Sony they just stopped they just ended that relationship i recently saw on the youtube's a video of a beta system of that nintendo sony uh collaboration that apparently exists right uh, yeah i've heard about that. this right yeah. so but th- i got the impression from the book that they didn't even get to the hardware phase and maybe maybe i wasn't paying attention maybe i i lost it somewhere but i found that very interesting that something I've read so recently uh, has that kind of a gaping loop or gaping hole in it. Um, I think, uh, I mean, yeah, that's, I don't think that's maybe not explicit in the book. I mean, I think maybe the mock-up was maybe Sony was working on it and had like, had just done a little bit of mock-up hardware in anticipation of the announcement. But I think they did like, move forward working on it before they had planned this announcement. And then, you know, Nintendo pulled the rug out from under Sony. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it, I don't think it's directly contradicted in the book. It just doesn't, uh, doesn't, it doesn't really let you know how far along in the process they were in the actual development before, uh, before Nintendo just, just, just pulled out. Right. Um, but I, I mean, I, I think either way, I mean, that is what happened. I mean, we, we do know that, uh, Nintendo, you know, had that press conference and then announced they were partnering with Philips instead of Sony, which, um, I mean, I, I don't really understand. I mean, I, I think we have some hints as to like, you know, Nintendo being the control freaks that they were, they wanted, you know, control of the entire, you know, rights to the software and rights to the manufacturing and everything. So I think they just kind of at the end decided they didn't want to, they didn't want to, um, they had given too good a deal to Sony, I guess, when they when they had originally made that deal. Right. Uh, but the funny thing is, I don't know if you guys have ever seen or or like looked at the games that came came out of that the the Philips collaboration. So Philips had had their own system called the CDI, and because of this collaboration, they got to put like a Mario and a Zelda game on their CDI system. They were not developed by Nintendo. And they were horrible. These are like the only kind of licensed products of Mario and Zelda games that you will find outside of a Nintendo console. And they're like, I, I think Nintendo would deny their existence. They're like the Star Wars holiday special. They're, they're the reason why Nintendo never put out any mobile games or anything until just now. Yeah. So it's it's funny that they, they ditched Sony, but then their partnership with Philips was not successful either. Right. Um, so, so I was, I was going to ask what, what was your takeaway? Did you like the book? Do you recommend the book? I, I did enjoy the book. Um, I, I think I agree with Daryl. And I think I, I mentioned this when we were talking before earlier, uh, when I, I finished the book a few weeks ago and gave my kind of initial impressions and the, the fictionalization of the, the conversations did kind of, irked me a little bit, but hearing that the, the people actually who Blake J. Harris talked to and did in, and interviewed with are okay with the, with the content of the book that, uh, you know, that kind of, uh, gives me the, gives me reason to, to, uh, you know, kind of put those, put those feelings aside. I mean, I think it's really interesting that you can, uh, you can have a book like this. That's really, it's, it's kind of like a history book, history of the video of the video game industry of the early nineties. But all these people are, I mean, largely still alive and a lot of them are on Twitter. So you can go and ask them directly what they thought of the book. And, you know, Tom Kalinske, uh, Daryl mentioned, but also Al Nilsson is on Twitter as well. Um, so all these guys you can kind of look up and talk to directly and, and ask them what their thoughts are on, on this book. Which I think is really is really cool. Um, I did like the 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 way this the book was framed because it was it was definitely set as kind of the from the perspective of Sega. Which as yeah, I was a I was kind of a Nintendo fanboy as well as a kid, so I didn't really have the Sega perspective, and I, I appreciated that, and it made me feel um, some empathy for Sega and and for Tom Kalinske in that he was really on the cusp of of making Sega. Uh, a big deal. And then, you know, I guess Sega of Japan kind of, you know, basically undercut all his, uh, all his ideas and really shot themselves in the foot. I mean, the fact that he kind of uh, approached uh, Silicon graphics and 
Like the chip that they were working on could have been in a Sega machine instead of the Nintendo 64. That was really interesting and really surprising. Mm-hmm. Um, spoilers, sorry. <laughs> but there's much more in the book to read, so sorry for that, for spoiling that part. But and, and I mean, also like he was, they were on the cusp of um, Sega was on the cusp of uh, of dealing with Sony as well, and then that kind of fell through because of the their parent companies in Japan. Um, so it was really interesting to see like the, the kind of the genesis of the modern video game industry was right there. And Sega could have been at the center of that if they had listened to Tom Kalinske and they didn't. And here we are. So I, I thought that was, that was really interesting. Cause you know, as I'm listening to the story, when they get to the part where, you know, Tom is kind of working with the folks from Sony and I'm like, well, I know how it turns out, so I know this is not going to have a happy ending. But it was just interesting listening to how it went. See, I didn't, I didn't, I knew how it turned out, but I was kind of thinking, well, maybe it's partially going to work because maybe they'll get the CD drives for the Sega CD from Sony, and then they'll in turn give some content to the PlayStation when it first comes out. Maybe there'll be a, like a a partial thing. So I didn't exactly know if it was going to fail right out right off the get go. But yeah, no, I was, I was a little disappointed that everything fell apart for him too. So I, yeah, I was right there with you with the, uh, you know, I kind of, I was, as I, I, I listened to it, read through it, whatnot. Um, I, I really did want to go and grab a, a, a Genesis and, and play some old games. <laughs> it's like, where can I find a Genesis? Oh man, I want to play a Sonic game. <laughs> Well, if you have a if you have an old Wii, they you can go to the virtual console and the Wii has some Sega games. <laughs> Isn't that ironic? <laughs> there's also a there's a um on PlayStation 3, I think there's a Sega compilation of Genesis games. Cool. It's like Sonic's Ultimate Genesis Collection or something like that. I think you can download it can on, uh, on PS3. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty easy. All right, I'll go next because I think that's the backwards order in which we've all read these books. Um, one, I, I I I highly recommend the book. It was enjoyable as fuck. I really felt like I got my money's worth. I, I this was this is like you know how I always say I wish I was on a, a fly on a wall listening to what people were fucking talking about. This was the epitome of that. I got to be a fly on the wall, and it was great. Um, I guessing that the author, after having read this and thought about it wasn't really able to pry much of any information out of Nintendo or Sony. These these are companies that were just tight-lipped then, and I think they're still tight-lipped about their past. They just won't talk about it. So 90% of the book, unfortunately, is from the Sony perspective. And so Sony, or I'm sorry, from the Sega perspective, and and Sega comes off as the underdog in this book, which in many ways they are, and you want to root for them. Um, by no means do I personally think the Sega system was better than the Nintendo system at the time. Um, and I felt like the book was kind of misleading in that. Uh, I think, I think everybody who had a Nintendo saw one or two games they wanted to play on the Sega, but it didn't justify buying that console to play those one or two games. Um, and I really, really, really enjoyed listening to how so- Sony handled marketing. That that to me was 
interesting as hell. Everything from Sega, Sega. I keep saying Sony. Sorry. How <laughs> Sega handled marketing. Everything from having to deal with that first upstart ad agency just so that Sony or Sega of America could get going to evaluating all the other ad agencies once they had money in their pocket and they could actually get an ad agency they wanted. Um, mm-hmm. I looked to, up some of their old uh, commercials. Yeah, me too. While I was yeah, reading it. Too. it was all refresher. It's just mm-hmm. that whole, that aspect of it really was interesting to me because I felt like at one point that they were just pouring on so much Sega console information to make you feel like that console was better than Nintendo's at the time when it wasn't that kind of irked me a little, but I get it. I don't, I don't think Sony or Nintendo were volunteering any information to the author. I, I, that must've been a very uphill battle anytime he wrote about Sony or Nintendo's point of view from the shit. Well, I mean, I, I think those companies are very much, um, like more than at least Sega. I think what, what we saw in the book, I mean, the impression I got is that Sega of America was very much given a little bit more leeway to be more independent of its parent company. Whereas I think both Nintendo and Sony are much more kind of following the parent company's lead. And if you want the story of those from those companies, you probably have to go to Japan. And I would guess that the, the Japanese companies are much more kind of uh, strict about letting their employees talk about, you know, what their their business was like even 20 years ago they're still not going to to open up about you know what was going on and how they felt about competing with you know working with their competitors or you know what they were doing and business deals they did well there's there's a there's a scene in the book there's several scenes in the book but obviously Tom Kalinsky of Sega of USA has got is headed on the right path Sony or fucking hate, Sega definitely has a chance of beating Nintendo if they can just keep the momentum going. And right. certainly Sega of Japan had either a jealousy towards Sega of America doing so well or just hated being told what to do. And yeah. and that ultimately killed and 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 the the analogy that they gave in the book which I felt was I can't imagine a better analogy was when um god I, I forget the guy's name but they go to eat fugu fish Oh yeah, yeah. And um, Al Nilsson. Al Nilsson, and yeah. he just downs the entire plate of fugu fish, and it scares the shit. Rightfully so, but scares <laughs> the shit out of Japan, the Japan uh, Sega of Japan guys. And it says something like that was the core difference between Sega of Japan and Sega of USA. Sega of USA was willing to do anything to win, to create a better product, to win the marketplace. And Sega of Japan was happy going the course. Yeah, I think it was, he said it was down to fear. Like they were, yeah, they yeah, were willing. Yeah. USA was willing to take risks and uh, and kind of they were fearless. And then Sega of Japan was not. They were very risk averse. And I I totally argue that that you don't even have to be a video game person. Like if you if you just enjoy the psychology of people or. Or, or marketing, or how shit gets done in in corporate corporate anywhere. This is a great book just for that. I mean, this this hit me as kick ass on so many levels. Uh, I, except for what I'm pointing out, where it's they're definitely uh, shining a light on on Sega of America's ass as being a, possibly a better system when it wasn't. But Jeremy, you read the book first. You read it before any of us read it. 
Yeah, it's been a year and a half. You've enjoyed the awesomeness much longer than we've had. What What did you like? What did you take away, um, sir? Well, uh, I was also on the Nintendo side of things. So um, I was a little turned off initially by like, when I realized this is going to be told from the perspective of Sega. But I think it did tell a good story. And, you know, just kind of seeing everything that went in, you know, into like with with all of the issues that the American companies, even the Nintendo of America and Sega of America had dealing with their parent companies was just, it, it was I, really intriguing. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, you know, I think it's kind of funny that, or, you know, in the end, how the, the SGI chip ended up in the N64. That was just, you know, showing you how, how close Sega was. Because the N64 was, you know, a pretty good system. And so the next generation of Sega, you know, could have just kind of demolished Nintendo, but they didn't. And now Sega is making software and not hardware. But, I mean, you could say, I guess, Nintendo's not far behind. <laughs> so. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it would be, I think, Daryl, you asked, uh, you asked um, Blake J. Harris on Twitter if he'd be, willing to write a follow-up on Sony versus Microsoft. I think from mm-hmm. from that era, we could see how, like, you know, the whole... Um, I mean, it would be kind of a footnote, but Nintendo with the GameCube to the Wii to the Wii well, U, how they're, I mean, they're I think, kind of... I think that would be the more interesting story, kind of like how Sega was complacent and risk-averse. I think Nintendo in later years has served that. And, I mean, the Wii is kind of a it's an innovative system you know with the whole you know UI and in the way the controllers work but it's essentially GameCube hardware you know so yeah i mean you know hopefully the switch is something different but you know we we've seen that Nintendo is now very risk averse and they're trying to just live off their past um successes yeah, I mean, I, although I don't know if I would, uh, I guess for Nintendo, I don't know if their problem is that they're, I mean, I don't know if I'd characterize it as risk averse. I might characterize it as they're really stubborn in like not fought, like not learning from their competitors. <laughs> like, like you know, when specifically when uh, online took off, you know, the Xbox pioneered uh, online accounts and then Sony followed suit. And Nintendo has been really lagging with online. I mean, if you if you have a Nintendo system and you want to buy digital software from them, it's a nightmare. I mean, mm-hmm. it's still a nightmare. Even though they had with the Wii, they had like the fir- one of the first digital storefronts even before the iTunes or the um, the iTunes the iTunes App Store. The you know the iPhone App Store was out before after the Wii um, uh, WiiWare a Virtual Console. But they're still like lagging behind in any kind of online features, and they're stubbornly refusing to kind of look at what their competitors doing and trying to, you know, to do something better. And and their their focus is always on like, well, they you know they claim that they they focus only on the gameplay first, and you know, not graphics, not anything else. But they, yeah, they don't they don't seem to want to even just like 
stay on the same level as their competitors or even recognize them as their uh, as competitors. And then what Nintendo has done really well is the um, the mobile gaming space, but then that has been pretty much taken over by smartphones. So their you know their 3ds will probably be their last kind of dedicated mobile platform with the you know the switch is now a hybrid so i yeah so i think that would be a great follow-up book is that era moving into you know the mobile the current day yeah the one thing that i noticed hasn't changed at all uh is uh their nintendo's control over distribution because all my years in retail um I especially still notice that uh, when people were going bananas over the Nintendo Wii's, uh, Nintendo, you just never got what you needed. You know, they you you know you'd you'd have much less than what you thought you were going to get. And I mean, I was at the front lines of you know just being a you know, an, an associate in the store. So I wasn't even close to being what would be involved in any kind of ordering. But, um, but I, I'm, I, I truly believe that, that Nintendo still holds back on, on what they, uh, allocate to their stores. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that, you know, in the past, like in the, in the late, I guess, mid eighties, when, they were trying to recover from the, you know, the the whole industry was trying to recover from the video game crash. Nintendo basically learned the lesson of, you know, less is more. That if we limit the the supply, we'll we'll prevent flooding the market and you know having another crash. But it's thirty years later, guys. I mean, mm-hmm. we've well, they think <laughs> they still dominate is the problem. They're they're not yeah. they're not accepting reality, which. You know, don't get me wrong. For for all the fuck up that the Wii is, and and what what's the new one? The sidekick, the side, the um, switch, switch. the switch. As much of a fuck up as those two systems are, they're innovating in certain ways that nobody else is dare touching. Well, you don't know that the switch yeah. is a fuck up, and, and the Wii you can't U was. say. Yeah, the Wii U was the fuck up, but the Wii sold a hundred million units, so you can't really call that a fuck up. You know, I, for, okay, this is probably you know, we're getting into the weeds, but from my perspective. There's not, and I, I watch the videos. Like, there's there's nothing coming out for the next generation Nintendo that I give any shit about. Nothing. Like, Nintendo is. I mean, I'm sorry, Mario World is not Mario World anymore. This is fucking Mario on abstract planes of existence. <laughs> it's, you know, but you're the not graphics the target to market Zelda anymore. to the new Zelda look good, but I've never been a Zelda fan. Like, I've played it, but nothing brings me to it. You know, Zelda is really the only thing that would make me want to get a Switch. Yeah, but you're not. You're not. We're not the target market, right? You know, but and I'm st- I still love the um, Mario and Zelda franchises. Like I played the Super Mario Galaxy and Galaxy Two that was on the Wii. I enjoyed them. I think they had lots of great platforming ideas. They took, you know, they used uh, gravity effects to really interesting ways. So you know, the changing your perspective and stuff. So I still think they're doing good. They can do good game design. They can do. Uh, Mario is. I, I think the the Mario Odyssey that's coming to the Switch looks great, and Zelda looks great. So I'm still on board for those. I mean, I just think you can't survive on the system with just Mario and Zelda, and that's it. You have to have more games than that. You have to provide more experiences for people. Because uh, yeah, you lose. You know, you lose everyone else. You know, right. 
if you can't if you can't deliver anything other than great Mario and Zelda experiences, you're gonna you're not gonna get the rest of the gaming population. Well, that's what happened to me. My uh, my wife got me a, a Nintendo Wii uh, back in like '08, and uh, we had fun with that for a little while. But I wanted I wanted a good racing game, and I wanted to be able to play um, my NHL game. And I'm like, well, I think there's an NHL game out there, but Nintendo doesn't have a racing game. And Mario Kart doesn't fit that the, bill for you. They huh? they had they had Mario Kart was the only one. And I'm like, I don't want Mario Kart. Mario Kart's a fucking cartoon. I want right. a racing game. <laughs> you know, so I, I switched and I went to PlayStation. So yeah. But but no, it uh it essentially got to the point where, you know, realized that Nintendo is not where I want to be anymore as an adult. But I mean, I think we've traveled a little bit off topic here from the book, (laughs) but uh, maybe this is two extras, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, but video games aside, the, um, I, I personally liked the, uh, the history of it, um, and, and how close everything got to, you know, work companies got to working together and, and that kind of thing. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, I'm, I, you know, it was, it was good. It was long. Like Yoshi said, it was a long fricking book. 63, 64 chapters. I think it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's over 20 hours. That's for sure. Yeah. I think we all recommend people listen to it and, and, you know, I, I can't imagine anybody listening to this wouldn't take something away from it. Like, I feel like it's a, it's a good investment in something to read or listen to. Mm-hmm. And um, I do want to, in addition to this book, I want to recommend another book that that actually takes you from the Nintendo perspective. Um, so, <laughs> so in in Console Wars, they do kind of he dedicates like I think a couple of chapters to the Nintendo story. Mm-hmm. And if you want an expanded view of that, there's another book that I think is kind of the uh, one of the pioneers in the kind of the like the first history of, of video games books. It's called Game Over. Uh, how Nintendo conquered the world, and this is this will, book was originally written like right in the like early '90s, like right as the Super Nintendo was coming out. So the last chapter of the book talks about how Nintendo is going to continue its dominance into 16 bits by partnering with Sony to make a new game system. So you can, that's how contemporary this book is to uh, you know to capturing that history. So uh, I, I thought that was that's a that's a really interesting book as well. So if you if you want to check that out, uh, it's a it's an interesting counterpoint to uh, to console wars or or maybe kind of a prequel, because hmm. uh, it it really starts with like Nintendo and how they you know how they formed how Hiroshi uh, Yamauchi grew the company away from toys and into video games and then. How he had he you know he got his son in law to come to America and start Nintendo of America, so it's really you know it really goes in depth in, in that point of view. Tell you one thing, I want to check out a Nintendo porn shop. <laughs> Do those exist? They had them. That's you know that's one of the things they <laughs> that's one of the things they uh, they dabbled in at the, before they they settled on video games, right? They had the playing cards, and then they they kind of expanded into adult entertainment for a bit, and then 
I, I don't remember that part. I no? Think, I think you might have gotten, you were listening to it while watching Pornhub, Daryl. <laughs> it's possible, but I'm I'm pretty sure that, that I, there was a, a a bit where they he kind of he was trying a, a few different industries while they were uh, still uh, gaining the success of the like the expanded playing cards and having a lot of extra cash. So he was buying more money or buying more companies, and one of them was uh, okay. Adult I don't remember that part of the book, but okay. No? I'll take your word for it, Daryl. No. They I apparently, so. at some point in their history, did make nude playing cards. Ooh, that might be okay. what you're thinking of. That, that's just, yes, let's go with that then. <laughs> I seem to remember like a brothel or something like that. <laughs> it's getting it's getting bigger. <laughs> Nintendo had a whole red light district in Kyoto. <laughs> yeah. The N in Nintendo stands for nude. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I Nintendo think Nintendo uh, had fifty percent of the sex trade in Japan for a brief yeah. period in the forties. Yeah. <laughs> I think we need to wrap this up. Uh, thanks everybody for joining us for this extra. Join us next week when we reveal the uh, secret identity of deep throating. Until then, <laughs> bye. Bye, buddy. Bye, bye. Later. That was a nice conclusion. Oh, uh, actually, I just found um, Daryl's vindicated. God damn it. <laughs> Why did you hit stop on the recording, Charles? According to um, according to this site I found, during the 60s, Nintendo uh, acquired a love hotel and guests could rent a room for an hour or two to have sex. There you go. Okay, well, that's, that's not, that's not, run, that's not mm. running a porn shop. That's... Uh, that's that's a brothel. If you took, one, if you took your own prostitute, <laughs> that's not a brothel. No, that's the, not a brothel. The, the hotels. Um, if you took your own prostitute to one of the hotels, you would receive a discount. <laughs> Send us a link, Dar- Jeremy. I just put a link in the Patreon chat. Okay. <laughs> and they, they do cite a source, which is a Kotaku, but we'll see. I'm Mario. <laughs> There you go. See? I knew some shit.